This is a recording of Why the Oxford English Dictionary and Not Webster's 1828 by Stanford Carmack, published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, read by Tyler Moulton. In order to properly consider possible meaning in the Book of Mormon, we must use the Oxford English Dictionary, the OED. Royal Skousen opened the door to this approach, but unfortunately many have resisted accepting it as valid or have not understood the advantages inherent in it. The usual method of consulting Webster's 1828 American Dictionary of the English Language has serious drawbacks. First, that approach is based on the incorrect assumption that the English language of the text is Joseph Smith's own language, or what he knew from reading the King James Bible. That incorrect assumption leads us to wrongly believe that non-biblical lexical meaning in the Book of Mormon is to be sought in 1820s American English or even, perhaps, from Smith making mistakes in his attempt to imitate biblical language, which is a canard. Second, by using Webster's 1828 dictionary, we can easily be led astray and form inaccurate judgments about old usage, and we can miss possible meaning in the text. Let us consider the second point, and a concrete example related to usage. To begin with, the OED definitively tells us that the pronoun ye was used to address both a single person and more than one person, and in both subject position and object position, starting in Middle English and continuing on into the early modern English era. Ye was a versatile pronoun. The OED has a very helpful entry on this point. Webster's 1828 has nothing on this. Here is one example taken from the Early English Books online database. Quote, 1507 Walter Hinton, Scala Perfectionis. If thou love much God, ye liketh to think upon him much, where like equals feel inclined to. End quote. Note the close switch from thou to ye, even though it refers to the same person, as we see in various places in the Book of Mormon. Note the third person singular inflection after ye, as we see in Helaman and elsewhere. This 1507 example is representative of many others that are found in the English textual record. Here is another example from Tyndall. Quote, 1573, John Fox, editor, The Whole Works of W. Tyndall. If thou vow to go and visit the poor, it is well done, and a sacrifice that savoreth well, ye will haply say that ye will go to this or that place. If ye abide in me, and my words also abide in you, then ask what ye will, and ye shall have it. If thou believe in Christ, and hast the promises which God hath made thee in thine heart, then go on pilgrimage. End quote. The entry for the word ye in Webster's 1828 states that it is the nominative plural of the second person, nothing more. The dictionary misses that ye was frequently used for singular address in early modern English. We have just seen examples of this, and it can rather easily be found in Shakespeare. The OED points this out with several relevant examples. The King James Bible itself slides almost imperceptibly and frequently between ye, you, and thou, thee, in passages such as Deuteronomy 13, 1-5 and Matthew 6, 1-9, to give just two examples. Webster's 1828 also misses that ye was frequently used as a grammatical object during the early modern era, including by Shakespeare. The Book of Mormon has this usage, for example, in Alma 14.19 and Mormon 3.22, 
and the OED points this out with several relevant examples. Misleading views, such as the one that Webster's 1828 provides us with, have led some to blithely make inaccurate pronouncements on this aspect of Book of Mormon grammar. Some even go so far as to claim, without sufficient analysis or expertise, that there is a massive misuse of archaic personal pronouns in the text. Yet it is the unknowing critics who have been mistaken. It is simply that there was a massive amount of variation in early modern English, and the Book of Mormon is a text that has a complex mixture of unexpurgated language from the early modern English period and beyond. While Webster's 1828 sheds no light on the matter, the OED elucidates this issue. Let me also say at this point that it is wrong-headed to propose Moroni as translator in order to account for errors in the text. He may have been involved in the divine translation effort, but to employ him as an explanatory device in order to account for putative errors is misguided. The English language text is too complex, diverse, and even well-formed to ascribe it to a non-native translation effort. Again, as I have stated in an earlier paper, the Book of Mormon is not full of grammatical errors. Rather, it is full of early modern English. Some of it is typical and pedestrian, some of it is elegant and sophisticated, and some of it is, to our limited or uninformed way of thinking, objectionable and ungrammatical. The Book of Mormon also contains touches of modern English and late Middle English. It is not a monolithic text, and we are just beginning to learn about its English language. A striking example of late Middle English is provided at the end of this short study. I have certainly come to realize that it is not the text of the Book of Mormon that is full of errors, but rather our judgments in relation to its grammar. Let us now consider an example that shows the shortcomings of Webster's 1828 in relation to meaning in the Book of Mormon. Moroni 1, verse 1. Quote, I had supposed to not have written more, but I have not as yet perished. End quote. What is the meaning of suppose in Moroni 1.1? There are a few possibilities. One that I favor in this context is incline or tend to think, with the implication of a mistaken belief. Webster's 1828 tells us that suppose can mean, among other things, believe, imagine, or think. The OED has these senses, sense is its favored term for meaning, but it also has several additional meanings that are possibly relevant and that are not found in Webster's 1828, including expect. The OED states that this sense of the verb suppose is obsolete, providing examples to the year 1760. Because Webster's 1828 does not have the meaning expect, this is good evidence that it was truly obsolete by the 1820s. In this way, Webster's 1828 is useful. But because suppose in Moroni 1.1 could convey a notion of expect, and since the sense is not found in Webster's 1828, we find that this reference dictionary is inadequate in relation to Book of Mormon textual meaning and usage, just as we have seen is the case with the personal pronoun ye. Moreover, the Book of Mormon phrase, it supposeth me, as discussed below, amply demonstrates the inadequacy of Webster's 1828 dictionary and the superiority of the OED in relation to Book of Mormon meaning and syntax. The phrasing had supposed to and had supposed that is found mainly in the first half of the early modern English era. In fact, 95% of the instances that I have located in that period are from before the year 1600. 
In addition, there are relatively few examples of this wording to be found in the much more extensive textual record of the 1700s and early 1800s. Thus it is reasonable on that basis alone to seek older meaning in this case. Here is an OED quotation from the influential printer and publisher William Caxton. Quote, 1474. Caxton. He was right seek, and men supposed him to die, or, he was very sick, and men expected him to die. End quote. This is from one of the earliest books printed in English. In this example, as in Moroni 1.1, suppose is used with a following infinitive with a future orientation. The OED tells us that suppose, with the meaning expect, was always used with a complement referring to the future. So in that way, the meaning is a good fit with Moroni 1.1. The following excerpts, taken from early English books online, are very similar syntactically to Moroni 1.1. 1.1474 when she approached unto her enemies, and had supposed to have distressed them, she found them arrayed, and ranged in good ordinance of battle. 1474. He took leave of King Afer and the Egyptians, and had supposed to have departed thence. 1474. I had supposed to have remained, and continued a stable virgin. 1477. The realm of Myrmidon, which he had supposed to have enjoyed. 1485. And of that of which the ass had supposed to have had grace, honor, and profit, he had shame and damage. 1492. I made by the virtue of some enchantments die suddenly the espouse, whom he had supposed to have enjoyed. This evidence points to suppose meaning expect. But we must duly consider other possibilities, such as believe, imagine, and think. Let me state at the outset of the following brief semantic analysis that such argumentation can be exceedingly difficult. I do not lay claim to any special insight on the matter. I can only do my best to argue based on examples, syntax, and the authority of the OED. With that said, we note that Moroni 1.1 involves infinitival complementation after the verb suppose, which is used in the pluperfect. In addition, the understood tense of the complement, to not have written more, is the anterior future, or the future in the past. We have seen several examples of this from the beginning of the early modern English era. But we note that the other meanings under consideration, believe, imagine, and think, can also be used with future complementation. However, Imagine and think also semantically work with complementation that has a present tense orientation, while believe and especially expect, with its clear future anticipation, do not, as in these rewritings from Moroni 1.1. I imagine I won't write anything else right now, where imagine equals have in mind or entertain an idea. I think I won't write anything else right now, where think means have in the mind. I believe I won't write anything else right now, where believe means have a belief. I expect I won't write anything else right now, where expect means think or imagine. These same verbs are all grammatical with the future orientation of Moroni 1.1. I imagine I won't write anything else in the future. I think I won't write anything else in the future. I believe I won't write anything else in the future. I expect I won't write anything else in the future. 
If we use infinitival complementation, only the phrasing with expect is felicitous in present-day English. I imagine to not write anything else in the future. I think to not write anything else in the future, where think does not equal intend, design, or purpose, as in Second Nephi 5.3. Our younger brother thinketh to rule over us. I believe to not write anything else in the future. I expect to not write anything else in the future. Syntactically, both historically and contemporaneously, and with its obligatory future orientation, suppose, meaning expect, fits the context well. Moroni had not expected to have engraved again, because he thought he would be dead before he had another opportunity to do so. Relying on Webster's 1828, we miss this possibility. Yet, as indicated, the others are possible in present-day English with finite complementation, and tend to think, implying mistaken belief, is semantically a good fit. Moroni had mistakenly thought that he would not have had an opportunity to engrave again. How about the split infinitive? Skousen discusses this passage, noting that the wording was transposed to not to have by the 1830 typesetter, matching Moroni 1-4, and that, quote, the idea that split infinitives are somehow wrong in English is a complete artificiality. The linguist Jesperson observed, the name split infinitive is misleading, for the preposition to no more belongs to the infinitive as a necessary part of it than the definite article belongs to the substantive and no one would think of calling the good man a split substantive. Here is a 16th century example that is similar to the split infinitive syntax of Moroni 1.1. Quote, 1551, Anne Cook Bacon, translator, Italian original by Bernardino Ochino. God is not also compelled of his perfect goodness, mercy, and charity to not have created the world. End quote. In further support of the assertions made at the beginning of this paper in favor of using the OED, I make the following observations. The Book of Mormon is full of King James English, whose meaning obligatorily derives from the 1500s, since much King James Bible language derives from 16th century translations, especially Tyndall's. The Book of Mormon has quite a few instances of older, non-biblical meaning, including counsel, meaning Ask counsel of, consult, used in Alma 37.37 and 39.10. This sense is not in Webster's 1828, and the last OED quote is dated 1547. Depart, meaning divide, used intransitively in Helaman 8.11. This sense is not in Webster's 1828, and the last OED quote is dated 1577. Scatter, meaning separate from the main body, without dispersal as used in the Book of Mormon's title page. This sense is not in Webster's 1828, and the last OED quote is dated 1661. And choice, meaning sound judgment or discernment, used as an abstract noun in 1 Nephi 7.15. Past tense syntax with did matches only mid to late 1500s usage. Complementation with the verbs command, cause, suffer, matches only the late 1400s and the 1500s. Syntax, like Nephi's brethren rebelleth in the prefaces to 1st Nephi and 2nd Nephi, corresponds to 1500s usage. It is not in the King James Bible and was obsolete in the 1800s. In view of the foregoing observations and evidence, I assert the following. 
There is undeniably substantial evidence in the Book of Mormon of early modern English meaning and syntax that was inaccessible to Smith and his scribes. Smith could not have known the obsolete meaning of some of these words except from context, because semantic shifts are unpredictable and unknowable to anyone in the absence of specific philological study. The pervasive early modern English syntax, as well as the existence of obsolete, inaccessible, non-biblical meaning in the text, mean that Smith must have received specific words from the Lord throughout the translation. Therefore, the wording of the Book of Mormon did not come from Smith's mind. He dictated specific words that were given to him. God was in charge of the translation of the English language text of the Book of Mormon. No mortal translated it. Smith translated the Book of Mormon in the sense of being the person on earth integrally involved in conveying Christ's words from the divine realm to our earthly sphere. Smith was not the translator in the conventional sense of the term. Much of the literature devoted to difficult or interesting meaning in the Book of Mormon wrongly assumes that word choice derives from Smith's mind. That means that in many cases, the approach and even some of the conclusions, as far as meaning is concerned, have been wrong. It is time to stop referring to Webster's 1828 Dictionary when seeking English language meaning in the Book of Mormon. While many old senses persisted into the 1820s, a considerable number did not. Only the OED covers almost all the range of usage found in the Book of Mormon. The final section of this paper addresses the old phraseology, It supposeth me, found four times in the Book of Mormon, twice in one verse. The language was objected to as contrived by Edward Spencer one century ago. This curious syntax is found in a lengthy, late 14th century poem written by a contemporary of Chaucer. The OED calls the construction inverted, and notes the status as rare one. Quote, 1390, Gower, Confessio Amantis, The Lover's Confession. But all too little him supposeth, though he might all the world purchase. Or, but it seemed all too small to him, though he could buy the whole world. Both the dictionary and a website with margin notes, from which I have made the above rendering, indicate a meaning of seem for suppose in this construction. The OED status rare one indicates, quote, that only one actual instance of the use of the word in context is known. This 33,000-line poem was printed for the first time by Caxton in 1483, and it was reprinted in 1532, 1544, and 1554. We also find it in the second volume of a 21-volume collection of English poetry, published in 1810, and in a three-volume work published in 1857. The phrase, it supposeth me, is similar to methought in methought I saw, a phrase used twice by Milton in Paradise Lost. Mine eyes be closed, but open left the cell of fancy my internal sight, by which abstract as in a trance methought I saw, though sleeping where I lay, and saw the shape still glorious before whom awake I stood, even to the seat of God. For since I sought by prayer the offended deity to appease, kneeled and before him humbled all my heart, Methought I saw him placable and mild, bending his ear, persuasion in me grew, that I was heard with favor, peace returned. Methought conveys, it seemed to me, deriving from the Old English verb thinken, or seem, 
distinct from Old English thenkan, or think, whence modern English think. The following OED quotation has the old verb think, or seem, used similarly to supposeth me, in both sense and syntax. Quote, 1530, Tyndall. The marriage of the brother with the sister is not so gross against the law of nature, thinketh me, as the degrees above rehearsed. The OED indicates, under the etymology section of think, verb two, that him thought and he thought were practically equivalent, that there was no difference of import between me thinks and I think. By extension, it supposeth me is practically equivalent to I suppose, with no difference in import between them. We have already discussed a variety of meanings of suppose. Additional ones mentioned in the OED are intend, assume as true, take for granted, and suspect. According to the OED, John Gower used supposeth elsewhere in his poem Confessio Amantis, with senses of imagine and suspect. Here are the relevant Book of Mormon passages, with some possible alternate senses for the phrase it supposeth me, provided. Jacob 2, 7 and 8. I believe, or I imagine, and also it grieveth me that I must use so much boldness of speech concerning you before your wives and your children, many of whose feelings are exceedingly tender and chaste and delicate before God, which thing is pleasing unto God. And it supposeth me that they have come up hither to hear the pleasing word of God, yea, the word which healeth the wounded soul. Words of Mormon 1, 2 I expect, with the future complementation, he will witness. And it is many hundred years after the coming of Christ that I deliver these records into the hands of my Son, and it supposeth me that he will witness the entire destruction of my people. But may God grant that he may survive them, that he may write somewhat concerning them, and somewhat concerning Christ, that perhaps some day it may profit them. Alma 54.11 I suspect, but behold, it supposeth me that I talk to you concerning these things in vain, or it supposeth me that thou art a child of hell. Could Joseph Smith have known about this inverted syntax? I suppose he could have seen it, had he spent time reading Middle English poetry. Was it accessible to him? No. This grammatical structure is exceedingly rare the embodiment of obsolete usage. Had he ever seen it, he hardly would have recognized it and been able to transform it from all too little him supposeth to it supposeth him all too little. Yet the text employs inverted syntax with suppose appropriately and consistently four times. The implications are evident. The Lord revealed a concrete form of expression, words, to Joseph Smith. The Book of Mormon contains early modern English language, whose syntax is independent of the King James Bible. It even has some transformed late Middle English syntax. And the text itself reveals its divine origins. This has been a recording of Why the Oxford English Dictionary and Not Webster's 1828 by Stanford Carmack, originally published in Interpreter, a journal of Mormon scripture, Volume 15, 2015, pages 65 through 77, read by Tyler Moulton.
This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed. If it remains unchanged, the journal and its website are credited, and it is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles and resources on Mormon scripture can be found at mormoninterpreter.com.